You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. and welcome to Life Community Church. We're glad that you're here or online. Uh, We're going to be in Psalm 37 today, so feel free if you want to flip there. Well, welcome. Uh, Sometimes maybe you wonder, what is Life Community Church? Well, we are a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. And we strive to do that through four different values, by practicing love with everyone always, by giving more than makes sense, by chasing after the likeness of Christ in every corner of our lives and by anchoring ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word. That's who we are. That's what we want to be. Uh, Just a few things to pass along to you. If you're interested in playing volleyball, as many of you might be, or attempting to look like you're playing volleyball, uh, there are sign-ups that are happening right now. We think this is going to happen. We'll have just to see how the world is at that point. Uh, But you can sign up at the information desk, or you can talk to Caleb after service. As many of you know, Thursday is Christmas Eve, and so we are having our Christmas Eve service here at 5.30 in this auditorium. And and look, we're going to need your help a little bit in this. I know that many of us feel that I need to sit toward an aisle way, right? We all have an emergency that we're going to think that we need to get up to in the middle of service, but when we have Christmas Eve, if we could have you move to the middle a little bit so we can fit people in here. And know if you're uncomfortable with maybe some more people being here, we have our overflow in our cafeteria that will be open for you to sit in there as well. So take note of that, and please help us if you can. Uh, Thirdly, if I can say that, we're at the end of the year. And so if you're looking to complete your year in giving, uh, just know you've got a couple Sundays left to do that, and you can call our office if you have any questions. I think that you can somehow on January 1st, make that last-minute donation if you get behind on things. So you can call our office and do that. And then lastly, I just want to keep plugging this prayer wall. If you've got things that are going on, please use our website, Life Community Prayer Wall at lifecommunityprayer.net. We'd love to continue to pray over you uh, as best we can and have everybody be able to pray over each other. All right, well, let's head into this week. Uh, For the last several weeks, we've been journeying our way to the manger in a season that we call Advent, the season that we look back on the arrival of Christ and we celebrate and we remember it. And in doing that, we are stirring up our longing for his return. The first week, we walked through the idea of waiting and what it was like for God's people in that time to wait for the arrival of the Christ child. And in their waiting, we found some importance. Second week, last week, we talked about the arrival, and we said that that God arrived in a very unexpected way, as a child, a baby in Bethlehem. And that was so unexpected that the people of the time missed it. And in that, we said that we should be careful about our expectations of God, considering the unexpected nature of God. And then this week, we talk about the present peace of Christ, his life, specifically through the lens of what the prophet Isaiah called Jesus, the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. And we're going to look at the peace-loving Savior who walked in the midst of the complexity of a broken world 
And we want to contemplate what it means to invite the Prince of Peace to reside with us as we walk in the complexity of a broken world ourselves. And so, waiting, arrival, present peace, Thursday, Christmas Eve, we'll talk about our future perfect hope that we have in Jesus. And so as it has been our rhythm, we have been using the book of Psalms that speaks so well into our lives. We are doing the same today. We'll be in Psalm 37. This was written again by King David. David writes this psalm at the end of his life. It's written somewhere around uh, 1,000 B.C., so this is 3,000 years ago that this was written. And David, in his content, isn't sort of laying out practical instructions for good living, but David is looking back at the breadth of his life and writing encouragement to those who follow him. And that encouragement and that wisdom comes from his own experience. And as always, we will find the perfect culmination of this wisdom in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so let's read this together, starting in verse 7. David writes, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed. But for those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at their wickedness, or the the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. Let's pray. Father, We just come before you today uh, in all of our journeys in life with countless differences amongst us, various viewpoints and experience. And Lord, we just humble ourselves around that which unites us, your name, Jesus. And so Lord, use these brief moments uh, in our schedule to renew our minds, to soften our hearts, and refresh in our joy. God, use your word and my words today, Father, to bring light to dark places. Lord, I can't feel... I feel the weight of the importance of this. So, Lord, will you be big today? And, Lord, as we look at you, will you make our lives small? Draw us to you today, Father. And we pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, as always, welcome to our kids. We're glad that you guys are here. You've done a wonderful job. Today, we're going to talk about peace. All right? And peace, maybe to you, is this sense of quietness or stillness. But in our scripture... Peace is actually um, known in a person. Peace is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. You guys are in here, and, and, and you're growing up, and your parents and your church are telling you all about the knowledge of Jesus. And there's going to be a day that you're going to be like, how do I take all of what I know, and how do I live? How do I live in light of what I know? And if I could simply sum that up, it would, it would be this. You, right now, live under guardians, parents who love you, and they provide your food, they provide your shelter, they take care of you. You don't have many wants. But there will be a day in which you outgrow that relationship, when you will become an adult. And what was true of your parents right now, as somebody who always always gave you what you wanted, that provided for you what you needed, guided you where you need to be guided, you'll stand on your own two feet. But what 
will be different about your parents will never be different about God. God is always worthy of our trust. He's always worthy of our, of our care. He's always wor- worthy of our attention. And so today we're going to talk about that peace. And I'm going to give you five words. Obviously, one is peace. The other is invite. The third is wholeness. The fourth is settled. And the last is rest. Okay. And so in this psalm that we read from David, we see these themes of waiting and refraining, of meekness and inheritance, of peace and prosperity, of wickedness and destruction. If we were to sum up the wisdom of David, it would be something like this. There is nothing too great that isn't worth waiting for. There is nothing too shocking or offensive that is worth getting angry about. There is nothing so grandiose that is worth selling away your peace. And there is nothing that harms God and his people that goes unseen. That is the summary of David. You know, a few weeks ago, I was here and I was talking to a friend and he was confessing the maturity that happens in aging, that the older you get, the seemingly mature, mature you get. Now, those things aren't mutually exclusive. I know lots of young people who are really wise. And honestly, I know some older people who are pretty immature. But when they do, when they grow together, we learn things that we didn't know then. We learn that there are things that we really thought we wanted that weren't necessary. I remember in the late 90s, something called the Palm Pilot came out. I don't know if you remember. You don't remember what a Palm Pilot was. Not a phone. It was a digital organizer. And I just, I thought to myself, as somebody who suffers with ADD and lacks organization, like that was going to fix it for me. But then I realized there's nothing that is going to organize me and keep me on top of things like I want them to. As I grow and, and get older and mature, you learn that the things that you got angry about at one time, weren't worth getting angry about. And the times that you flexed your strength and showed your power and your rightness, you can look back on those things and be a tad embarrassed about your behavior. I remember early in college, uh, certainly lacking wisdom and maturity. And I remember surveying the landscape of a secular university that seemed to be okay with offending my faith. They were okay with making me feel small. I had professors who readily ostracized Christianity, and there was a culture there that was not inclusive towards my belief. Although I will say this, I had a tremendous faith journey in college. And so one day I remember calling my mentor and and sort of yelling at him on the phone. And I said, I'm so sick and tired of the contradiction where it is okay for my faith to be offended and abused, yet if I profess the name of Jesus Christ, that is one bridge too far to tolerate. And I was angry. And so here's my plan. I said to them, I am tired of not being offensive. I'm going to offend people. And if they are offended by me, then that's their problem. It's not me. I was angry, and I was motivated. My friend, after we hung up, called me back five minutes later, and he said, hey, thanks for sharing that with me. Could you wait on offending people until we talk next? I said, yes. Is the gospel message of Christ offensive? 
Yes, it's offensive. It's offensive because it calls people to trust something other than themselves. It's offensive because it begs people to come and die. It's offensive because it calls people to repentance, to see their wrongdoing in light of a holy God. It's offensive because it's a message that says that you cannot fix yourself. I didn't want to be offensive by the message of Christ. I wanted to be a jerk. I wanted to be a jerk that condemned others and offended others who didn't believe what I believed or didn't understand the rightness of my perspective. And I wanted to beat people down by my own rightness in hopes that they would come to Jesus. And when they came to Jesus and accepted Jesus, it was far more about personal justification of how good I am than it ever was eternal justification for them. And so as somebody who's almost 40, I'm grossly embarrassed and repentive of my behavior. The truth was my whole life was at war. I did not like myself. I did not like who I was. I had no rest. I had no peace. I was at war with others. I was convinced in my rightness, and they needed to hear it. And if everybody would just believe what I believe and knew what I knew, then this world would be a better place. I was at war. And instead of taking those issues and putting them in front of my father, my loving father, it was far easier to be angry and against a world that didn't seem to be for me, who didn't believe what I believed, who didn't love what I loved. It was easier to cultivate my rightness and to see other people's wrongness in order that I could feel good about myself. So I could put all of my lacking on something other than myself. So I never had to deal with it. And here's the thing, as as sad as this may be, and I I don't want to believe this is the case, but I think it is. It seems to me that the war that raged in me then and the war that daily wants to come back also happens to plague God's church today. Christians, and we've said this before, are far more known for our condemnation than we are for our peace. And I'm not talking about a peace that is passive, that doesn't uphold truth, or a peace that doesn't yearn for truth or doesn't speak truth. What I'm talking about is a peace that endures and inhabits those of Christ who are settled in their trust, settled in their hope, settled in the sufficiency of God who descended into creation out of his love, who came to do for us what we could not do, who came by his own word to reconcile the hearts of men and women, to bring peace between God and man. One of the most understated reasons why so many Christians don't speak about their faith, that don't talk about Jesus, that cling to small Christian cliches that really don't sum things up, it's not from a lack of belief. It's not from a lack of knowledge. It simply comes from the contradiction of the message of Christ and a heart that is still at war with self and others, a heart that sees itself as right, Yet we come together and celebrate and gather around the message of the gospel that says that Jesus Christ died and was risen for my sin. He dealt with it. He dealt with my shame and my condemnation and my condition. And in my surrender and my repentance, I am reconciled by grace with the holy God. And that gospel means for me that there is grace and love and forgiveness that abounds in my life that are plentiful but we find that they are not plentiful 
because we are still at war. Still at war. Let me put it this way. If I came to you and I sold you the greatest, greatest, best, trendiest new kitchen gadget, and I said to you that it was going to revolutionize your cooking in your house, it was going to cook your food, watch your kids, and clean your house, and it was all yours for three easy payments of 1995, right? If I came to you and I sold that to you and you took it home and it didn't work well, in fact, maybe it didn't work at all, let me ask you this question. Would you tell your friends about it? No. And this is what we find today. A gospel message that was so to me as something that would revolutionize my life. And it didn't. And so what do I do with that? This is what plagues us. We have a gospel of a savior who came to restore peace to mankind. But it has been so to us as believers in a way that we never have to feel the conviction of laying down our lives. We never have to feel the conviction of what it cost us. We never have to give up our freedom. We never have to lay down our life. We never have to surrender our will. We have been sowed a perversion of the gospel that is far more about a like-minded opinion of a group of people that finds for me my rightness and my place. And because the world is at war, what it often results in is me just digging my heels in deeper and becoming far more angrier and defensive of my faith and my people. And it becomes less and less and less about a God that rescued me, that saved me, not because I deserved it or not because I earned it, because he gave it to me by grace, a gift. And that grace isn't mine to own. I can't own that grace. I give it to myself and the world as freely as God gave it to me. And so as I reflect on the story of Christ, and I reflect on this season where we come together and we're reminded of songs like Silent Night, and Away in the Manger, and Hark the Herald Angels Sing, where we sing, Holy infant, so tender and mild, Sleep in heavenly peace. And, but the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. And peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. We are full of inexhaustible joy and happiness that he's come. And we are moved by the narrative of Christ coming to earth in peace. And his peace is tangible in this season, but is so quickly forgotten in a world and ourselves that are at war. There is good reason for that, though. The peace of God has never been circumstantial. It's never been situational. It seems like a peaceful thing to think about Jesus being born in a barn. But it is not peaceful to have a child in a barn. It seems peaceful to be in Bethlehem, but Bethlehem was not peaceful. It was distressed and oppressed by an alien occupier in Rome. What I think is most important for us to understand in the birth of Christ is that peace that we celebrate here in this season is not an earthly peace. 
The only reason that we can sing peace on earth and mercy mild is because the person of Christ, the person of peace, Jesus Christ, in which God and sinners were reconciled. Peace does not exist on earth. It does not exist in this broken world. Peace is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. It may seem peaceful for you to walk in the woods during the snowfall, but you know somewhere in that woods a fox is making a dinner out of a mouse. Peace is not found on earth. It's not found here. It's found in Christ. And the only way that we remain at peace is for us to be near our Savior to rest and remain and abide in Christ. Listen to the instructions of our words. Listen to the weight of Scripture. As we look at 2 Thessalonians in chapter 3, it says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you. Colossians 3, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. In Philippians 4, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then the Prince of Peace himself, Jesus, says these words in John chapter 14. Peace I leave you with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The wisdom of Scripture is profound. And that wisdom says that peace is not found to those who aren't near God, but to those who are in Christ. Not just somebody who says, I like the idea of Christ, but somebody who so fully clothed themselves with the truth and the life of Christ that they are in Christ. And that's not to mean that chaos and dysfunction and bad things don't come into our life. It just simply means that I have the peace in my life to know that I don't need to understand that now. I have peace to know that all things will be restored. I have peace to know that he reigns forevermore. I can just rest in him. You know, a few months ago, we talked about the fruit of peace. When we talked about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, and I think it's helpful for us to review some of what we said. We said that as we looked at Scripture, the word peace that we find in Scripture comes from the Hebrew word shalom. And the word shalom means to bring wholeness. It means to bring completion. It's the idea of taking something that's broken and fixing it. It's the idea of walking into something hard and complex and making it whole. And so what becomes so vitally important for us as believers is to know that peace is not the absence of my struggles. It's not the absence of my frustrations. It's not being unhindered. But biblical peace has everything to do with wholeness. Biblical peace is not the absence of things. It's actually the wholeness of all things. And that is seemingly a radically different idea about peace than we are led to believe. We are led to believe that peace is about escaping and detaching from life. For some, peace is the glass of wine at the end of the day. The Netflix binge on your day off. Scrolling through your Instagram feed. Or a day at the movie by yourself. Peace is detached and retreating from life. But when we read the Bible, peace is never detached from reality. Nor is it numb to it. 
Scripture isn't implying that peace is the absence of strife in my life. It's actually moving into the brokenness of my life, moving into the problems of my life with the aims to make it whole. And that is exactly what we celebrate in the incarnation of Christ, the coming of the Messiah, that God in the person of Jesus Christ was seeking the shalom, the peace of the world, whom were so at war with each other at the time that they missed it. They didn't recognize him. Jesus, in his ministry, declared, I did not come into this world to be served as a king. I came to serve as a ransom for many. He came and did what we could not, live a perfect life, blameless life. And on the cross, he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And what it means to be the righteousness of God is that we would become the evidence of God's reconciliation on earth. That my life would echo the peace and reconciliation of a God who rescued me. That is what it means to be righteous. That our living would be settled in this. That Jesus Christ absorbed all the violence that God had against sin. And all the violence that humanity had against God. He endured the wrath and the sadness of the Father. And at the same time, all the anger and all the suffering and all the shame of his creation. And that is why our God came. And why did he do it? Because he wants peace. He wants peace with his creation. And that is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God has made peace with man through Christ. It is what made Paul write this in Ephesians 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. Jesus Christ has settled, reconciled, set right what is most important about us. And what is even more humbling than that is I had nothing to do with earning it. It's not a reflection on my goodness. It's a reflection on God's goodness. And in light of his goodness, I don't have to operate in a world in which I'm fighting to find my peace. Or come to the world in a way that I'm going to create my own peace. As if I actually could do that. I come at the world as one who has found their peace in Christ. So I want you to understand how that changed things for me. I stopped seeing people as business transactions. I stopped seeing people as sinners who needed to be saved. I stopped seeing people as worse than I am. I stopped trying to be convincing enough to make people believe what I believed. That was empty. It was prideful. (laughs) I'm going to convince you that I'm right, even though my life has zero evidence that I believe what I believe. And I said earlier in this conversation, that was far more about me confirming how good and right I was and helping people see how wrong they were. It was never about people seeing the goodness of God and the righteousness of God. But when we become settled in trusting who Christ is and the peace that he brings, humbled by what he did, it changes your priorities. It changed my priorities to not getting people to believe what I believe, but inviting people to know who I know. Not about you believing what I believe, but you knowing who I know, the Prince of Peace. My faith and actions became detached from rightness and personal affirmations. Not that they don't come back at times. And they become attached to the evidence of God's reconciliation. 
in becoming his righteousness, where we grieve the brokenness of others, we grieve the brokenness of the world, and we invite them, the world that is at war, into the peace of our Savior and his kingdom that we first and primarily have found for ourselves. And so when we look at the life of Christ, let us consider what was it that made Jesus at the age of 14 wander away from his parents and into the temple and begin to have the audacity to teach religious leaders at the time who were deemed better and, more, better and, and wiser than they were. Let us consider what was it about Jesus that made him so soft and welcoming to the widows and the poor and the peasants? What was it that caused him to bear the ignorance of others and endure the constant mocking and assassination attempts? What allowed Jesus to have his betrayer Judas at the table with him and break bed? What was it about Jesus that when the guards came to arrest him and Peter took out a sword and cut off an ear, that Jesus rebuked Peter and put the ear back on? What was it about Jesus that saw him be silent in front of his accusers, silent in front of his torturers, silent as an innocent man that came to the cross? It was an otherworldly peace. Otherworldly peace that came from the full confidence that he knew exactly who God was. And so when we look at our lives and we think about the things that we get angry about, the things that we worry about, the things that we're offended by, the way that we spend money, what we prioritize. Can we honestly say that this is the life that God descended into creation to reconcile with? Is this the abundant life that Scripture talks about? Is this why the Prince of Peace came? So I can live in a way that I'm right? So I can live in a way that I can be angry about that? That I can be unforgiving to them? Do we really think that this is it? Do we really think that our life right now is the best that God could come up for us, with us, for us? The scripture is clear. Those who are reconciled to God do two things. They love the Lord with all their heart, soul, and strength. And they love others. And we will never live that way until we live as we were reconciled to live. Not as a people who are looking to be offended, not as a people who are looking to get angry, not at one that assumes their rightness or pride, not at one who wages war against themselves or others, but one who is settled and reconciled in the work of Jesus Christ and rest in the size and the rule and the love of our king, that like David, we have the wisdom and maturity about us to say, you know what? There's nothing too great that isn't worth waiting for. There's nothing too shocking and offensive to get angry at. There's nothing too grandiose for me to sell this piece away. And there is nothing that harms God's people that goes unseen. Here's the thing. I don't have to fight. I don't. I have a God that's better at it than I am. And he's better at defending himself than I am. You know what he's asked me to do? 
David does. Be still in front of the Lord. Be still and known to rest and remain. To now remind us of the song that the angels sang at the birth of Christ in Luke 2. The angels singing to the shepherds, saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. For those whom God is pleased with, those of faith, we live out our identity as ambassadors of God, declaring to the world that God has made peace with man, that we ourselves have found first. Let's celebrate the Prince of Peace. And let's do that by laying down our swords, laying down our pride, laying down our agenda, and realize that God stepped into the world to make you whole and to walk in peace and invite others to join you in a kingdom of peace. Would you pray with me? Father, we are woefully short on our knowledge of how to surrender to you. And I speak as one who knows it. Lord, will you, will you settle in our soul who we are? Will you help us to embrace what was restored in us on the cross? Will you help us to see that we were reconciled to you? Not that we could war anymore, but that we could trust and rest in you. And so, Jesus, we come to you today in the season that centers around peace, that centers around the shalom of God, where Jesus Christ stepped into the chaos of the world to fix it. That, Lord, that you would draw our hearts to you. And, Lord, that you would help us find the peace that you give. And we pray this boldly in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.